Thank you, Lord, for tonight. Thank you, God, for our guests and for just the community we have here to be able to call you Father and be free here. And so we just thank you for all that you're going to do here and just glorify you, God, for being with us and among us. We thank you that you're an intimate God, that you desire to be with your children and with us and your presence with us. And we, we thank you, God, that you're not distant. So we just commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand and thank the band. Thank you, guys. All right, are you guys ready tonight? All right, I want everyone to put your hand on your heart. Ready? Say, Jesus, I am ready for whatever you want. Say, Jesus, I'm ready. All right, let's bring Havla up. Welcome, Havla. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't you guys have a seat tonight? Um, and there's extra points if you sit in the front row. I just want you to know that, that there's extra. God will build actually mansions onto your mansions if you sit there. So I'm just saying, if you want a word, you can sit up front. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Havila Cunnington, and I'm a teaching pastor at The Rock over in, all the way over in Roseville. And um, every once in a while, I venture out from Roseville to a place called Sacramento. And um, I get to share and speak. And uh, so thank you for having me. I have a couple guests with me tonight. One is the very, very handsome and hot man in the back is my husband, who is totally humiliated, but, you know, extra points. And then I have my friend Sheena with me as well, who actually grew up going to Capitol. So you may recognize her, but she's one of my friends, and I like her. And um, also, New Life, I see New Life faces. How many of you are here from New Life? Just wave at me. It's good to see you guys here. Thank you for coming. Um, And uh, so thank you for being familiar faces. I appreciate that. Uh, But let's just get started. uh, I am a mom. I have three little boys. I have a three-month-old, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old. And they're all boys, and it's wild. And I have a twin sister. That's all I grew up with was girls. And boys are gross. And, and they're wonderful, and they're wild, but they're wild. And so, as you can imagine, that's what my life is like. So I, I say that in, in endearment because I, I have boys, and I'm going to raise them to be godly men because I was always looking for one, and I could never find one. So I'm going to raise a few, all right? So let's, uh, let's pray, and I will start, and we'll go from there. So, Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for your heart for us, your passion. I thank you for the, the worship, Lord, that just came. And or you could just sense your presence just kind of rolling in here and um, us just sensing you. And, Lord, it's sometimes hard within our week to just take a moment and say, Lord, we want you. We need you. Lord, everything we have is because of you. So, Lord, that's what we're doing tonight. We're taking some time to say we want to see you and who you are and take a moment to just glorify you and know that you have it all under control and that your word is true and faithful. So we love you. And everyone said, amen. Would you open up your Bibles tonight to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three, verse seven. If you brought your Bible, it's also going to be hopefully on the screen. I did bring um, some media, so hopefully that will work. Uh, But Ephesians chapter three, how many of you love your Bible? I love my Bible. I find that, um, you know, I, I, got, I just came to a point in my life where I stopped trying to change myself, and I just said, Lord, I'm going to open up my Bible every day, and I'm just going to ask you to help me. 
And I found that my life began to change radically as I began to open up my word and stop trying to fix everything so that I could open up my word without shame and condemnation, but rather just open up my word where I was at, say, God, you see my weak? Yes, it's weak. I don't have it all together. I don't, I don't, I, I failed a ton of times before I even open up my word, but I want to open it up and trust you. And I found that God began to change me as I did that. And so it's important we're in our word. It's important that we bring that book of life every day um, and begin to really read that. But I want to talk today just briefly about how the extraordinary, the extraordinary of the ordinary. So basically your ordinary is an extraordinary thing that God wants to use. How many of you feel like you're pretty ordinary in your life, right? How many of you go to an ordinary job? You have, you do things that are pretty ordinary. You go to school. It's pretty ordinary. Yeah. How many of you would just say with all, with all arrogance, I'm pretty ordinary looking, right? Right. Okay, good. And you know, a lot of things that we do is very ordinary. They're things, but what I love about the Lord and what I love about Jesus and this radical Messiah that walked the face of the earth thousands of years ago is that he intervened in the, in the ordinary and he began to live this extraordinary message that was impassioned and, and addicting. And it was amazing. And he would just, he would basically interrupt the ordinary to come in. And I believe that's the heart of God for us is that we live ordinary lives and we do ordinary things, but God has permission to interrupt us to do the extraordinary things through us and in us if we will allow him to. And I am uh, part of that, and I'll talk to you about my story a little bit as we go. But I love what Paul is saying here. I think it's a great message. And he says, uh, uh, because I, because a servant of the gospel, by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, which for ages past have been kept hidden in God who created all things. I want you just to say this with me. My ordinary life, everyone can say it, my ordinary life has extraordinary purpose. Do you know that God has a call on your life? Do you know that he has a purpose for you? Did you know that you just being born is evidence that your life possesses something that this generation needs? Just you being here and saying yes to him, he wants to take who you are and, and mold you and shape you to be a light in the dark city, in the dark light. I know with my, my life, I never felt adequate in those things. And um, I was a pastor's kid who was raised with a, a, a dad that traveled and spoke and was an evangelist. And I never wanted to be in the ministry ever. That was not part of what I wanted to do. My sister, I have an identical twin sister, and she wanted to go to nursing school. And my plan was to live off my parents for as long as I could. And uh, how many of you would say amen to that? So, okay. And so that's what I wanted to do. And I just had had no encounter that really changed me. And I, and I always thought that I didn't, I wouldn't be able to be used of God because I didn't have any really special giftings or graces about my life. I had a lot of learning disabilities growing up. And because of that, I always felt pretty unintelligent. 
Um, and I never wanted to read out loud because I was dyslexic. And so everything I would read, uh, I had to read through and read through and read through. And then when I would read through it enough, um, there was, I was bound to mess up and bound to read it wrong. And so in English class, I was the person that always took the zero. I would rather just not get up in front of the class than to get up and have a room laugh at me. So I hated being up in front of people and I liked being social and I liked having a life, but but I never wanted to be up in front of anybody. And um, I remember the Lord challenging me and saying, Havilah, I want to use you. I, I have a call in your life and you have a mouth and I want to use that. And I remember saying, Lord, I'm like, I'm not the smart one. Like there's a lot of smart people out there. I'm kind of on that yellow brick road. I'm still looking for my brain. And, you know, use somebody who's, like, really great because I'm really not. And I could, I'm great behind the scenes, and I can do some great, you know, I'm, I can work hard and clean and do all that. But I, I don't want to be the one that's up there because it's embarrassing. And I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to do it, and I don't want to, you know, do all those things. And I remember just challenging with the Lord, and, and it sounds really, like, light. And, wow, that sounds really nice and God. But look what God did. But... I remember walking up to altar calls and just weeping before God because I knew that I just felt so inadequate and said, Lord, I really want to be used of you. I know I have a call in my life, but I don't know how to do that. Has anybody ever been caught in that? I know I want to do something great, but I don't know what it is. And, you know, I know that everybody wants instant fame in the world and being like a minor Christian celebrity is like, well, is that what we want? But I believe that each of us have been given a desire for greatness. It's supernatural. It's sovereign. It's how God made you. And the world has taken that and it's made it a counterfeit into false fame and wanting to have fame and acknowledgement. But there is a genuine divine desire God's given us for greatness. He's given us a desire to have our lives matter to make sure that our voices count, to make sure that we aren't on this earth for long and that we are somehow ignored or somehow irrelevant, but that we have relevance. How many of you would say, I want relevance. I want my life to matter. I don't want to do everything and make sure I have the right car and the right house and have the right marriage and raise the kids like everybody else, make sure they all go to college. And at the end of my life, what do I have to show for it? What eternal value do I live with? And those are hard questions. And I think at this age, when you're in your 20-ish stage, these are when we make our greatest decisions. These are the decisions we make that will last for the rest of our lives. Whether they're good or bad, we're going to live with these decisions. And so many times we will battle with God in this season because this is the season of your biggest decisions. Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do with my life? Am I going to do what my parents want me to do? Am I going to do what I want to do? Am I going to serve God, like really serve God? Or am I going to sit back and do the Christian thing? Or maybe I'm on my way out the door. I'm really not that interested. These are things that we deal with. And there's reasons why there's a battle that goes on in your heart right now. As a woman and as a man, there's purposes. And it's because there is no light. See, did you guys see that? You guys weren't believing. If you believe the lights will stay on. No, I'm kidding. Um, but ultimately, there's, there's a reason for that. And it's the question of, of I want to be extraordinary in the things. And you may be smart and great, but you know what? It, it doesn't mean that there's eternal value in all of that. You may be really talented, but how many of you have seen really talented people blow their life up? So just because we have giftings and graces doesn't guarantee us a fruitful future. 
And so this is what Paul is, he's saying, he's challenging us, and I want to kind of dissect this. And if you're taking notes, you can, hopefully you, maybe even on your iPhone you can take notes, but I, I do have, this will be online. But your life is extraordinary. Your main purpose, my main purpose is to help ordinary people understand the, and respond to the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. That's your destiny, and that's my destiny. Our purpose in life is to help ordinary people respond and understand the message, the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. That means that you don't have to be extraordinary. It means you don't even have to be that cute. You don't have to be that gifted. You don't have to be amazing in any way because you already have something amazing. You have Jesus Christ living inside of you who went to the cross on your behalf that has a plan and a future for the world. And that enough is extraordinary that if you carry that truth inside of you, your life becomes extraordinary. So what we have to do is we have to get really good at sharing that message. Wherever we are, you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, I'm not either. In fact, God didn't say, go all of you into the world, especially those with the evangelistic calling and has the, have the, they're outgoing. But all of you that are meek and mild and don't have any grace, you sit back and wait because those that are loud will do the work. He doesn't give any of us a right. He says, look, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That is your commission and that is my commission. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to take this extraordinary message and use it for the glory of God? And how can we take that? Well, partly, partially is understanding that we have the message inside of us. We need to be really good at sharing the message of Jesus Christ. We need to be experts in this. Not just so that we can have a debate and, oh, yeah, well, did you know this? And there was this much? And did you know? No, no, no. It's not about debating it. But an experience of the message of Jesus Christ. Have you experienced him? Have you experienced his life? Have you had an encounter with him that changes you forever? And if you have, then that is your testimony. And that can never be taken away from you. The Bible says we defeat the enemy by two things. In Revelations, it says what? The first thing we defeat the enemy is by the blood of the lamb. Jesus already did it. We can accept that. But secondly, we defeat the enemy by the word of our testimony, which means your story is the power of your ministry. What happened to you, what Jesus has done in your life, is the, is the force behind the call of God on your life. And it validates what he's done in your life. No one can take your story from you. No one can take what he's done. I remember I was 17 years of age. Like I said, I grew up in a minister's home and I was the roller coaster Christian. Anybody, you know, it's like, go to camp. I love you, God, I'll die for you. And then the next day it's like, yeah, so, and that was me. And I went back and forth and back and forth. And I was very focused on being popular. I wanted to be with the in crowd. And so whatever they were doing, I was doing. And uh, I moved to a new city from L.A. We grew up in L- I went to high school in L.A. and then moved to Yuba City. Has anybody ever been in Yuba City? It's like that. Like if you drive through, it's like that. And um, so I remember like going to Yuba City and thinking something was wrong because everything was closed at 9 at night. Has anybody ever been to Yuba City? Okay. We love them. And um, so I didn't have very many friends. 
Um, and there was a couple guys that befriended my sister and I, of course, we were the new girls. And so we got one night, they said, Hey, you know, we want to take you guys to this party. And we said, great. So they picked us up from church and we get in this car and we're driving. Um, and they had already been out partying and was taking us to the next party. And all of a sudden I, it's just as clear as day. I could feel the presence of God in this car. And the reason I knew it was his presence was because I was raised around it, and I knew that the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And the Holy Spirit began to say, Havilah, you are called to more than this. What are you doing? You are called to more than this. I have a, you have a call on your life. You cannot do this. And I, he would say, he's challenging me. But as he's saying it, and how many of us know that when God talks to us and says the hard things, there's always grace. He never comes with shame to get us. He always comes with love. He always calls us with love. And so he's calling me, and I, I begin to cry. I can feel these tears coming down my face. I'm 17 in the backseat of this car. And I, I, all I can do is say, hey, can you guys turn down the music? And so the guys kind of looked around. They turned down the music, and I said, I don't know about you, but I have a call of God on my life. That's all I could say, right? And I remember just saying it. Like, because, you know, when you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you just say it. And so I said, I don't know about you, but I have a call of God in my life, and I want to serve God. And if you want to serve God, you can come with me, but this is what I'm going to do. And I remember looking at Deborah, my sister, and thinking, wondering, you know, is she looking at me like, you, you are on your own. Like, you are saying about it, the only friends we have. And I look at her, and she's crying. She has tears streaming down her face. And so the guys just drove us right to our house. It's funny. We didn't even have to ask them to. They just drove right to our home. They're like, whoop, okay. And so they take us to our house, and it was late at night. I remember getting out of the car, going into this old home, going into one of our bedrooms, kneeling down at one of our beds and crying this simple prayer, saying this simple prayer, Lord, we're not much. We're young. We're girls. And we don't have any special giftings. But if you can use anyone, you can use us. When we said that prayer, I wish that the heavens opened that night. It was like, ah, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, and angels came up and down. It was amazing. And it's like, and then, you know, the phone rang and there was, we're flying you. I mean, I wish, don't you wish it was like that with God? It was like the moment you say yes, it's like every national door opens nationwide and you can do whatever you want. And you got a voice, well, come on up, you know, or you got a heart, well, I mean, we wish, but ultimately we have to work on our salvation and character has to follow giftings. And so we have to work out things. So that night, we turned out the lights and went to bed. As simple as that. But you know what? God heard that cry, and he heard that prayer, and he took us up on that offer. And so we, we, I simply started to say yes to him. Everything that he brought my way, I said yes to him. Yes to the things he was telling me not to do anymore. Yes to the friends he was telling me not to hang out with anymore. Yes to the things that were taking my time that I didn't want to give up. But I was saying yes because our journey in him is not about saying no to the things we don't want to do. It's about saying yes to the things that we want to do and in him. And when we say yes to him, we're not fixated on the things we can't do anymore. You want to know how much God loves you? Find out how much he loves you. You want more passion for God? Find out how much passion he has towards you. And it will keep you fascinated for with him. And so that was my story. I just began to say yes to him. And God began to use me and use my life 
very simply at first, and then it slowly, slowly began to see God use me in other ways I would have never imagined. And one is that I now do as a living, I get up and talk and preach. And that amazes me because every time I go to read, I get a wave of anxiety. Like I can't read out loud. What am I doing? I don't want to do this. And then as I do it, there's grace to do it. That is very often how God will use us in the callings that he has for us. So nothing we could ever do could ever compare to the message of Jesus. And nothing. So we might as well get really good at knowing his story and experiencing who he really is because that's what makes us valid. You want validity. You want people to look at you and expect something from you. You want people to think you're great. We want people to think, wow, you know what? They, they're really, they've got a life. Wow, they really, their life matters. You want that experience? Well, if you have Jesus in you and you are living for him and you are saying his words and you're doing what he's asked you to do, people will be amazed at your life. They will. They will look at you and go, wow. They are living for something, and that really, I can really see that in them. And it's, it's empowering, and it's, it's persuasive. Secondly, you're ordinary. Uh, you may be ordinary, but you have extraordinary competence. And I love how you go, competence, what does that mean? Well, I think Paul says it well in 2 Corinthians. He says, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul is saying, listen, when you receive the Holy Spirit inside of your life, your competence level changes. You begin to have graces and giftings that you never thought you had. He begins to change you. He begins to alter things in you. You know, I was one that loved to sing and play piano. And I remember so wanting to play and sing piano. And I was okay. I was mediocre, but I loved it. And so I got a little keyboard out. And, and I, my dad had this old sound equipment in his garage. And I remember, you know, setting it up on my dresser. And I had this mic stand and I masking taped, put it together. And it would fall every once in a while. And I would be singing. And I had this speaker. I don't know why I needed a speaker. And it was just me in the room facing the mirror. Very, very, very humble. And, um, and I would just sing my heart out. Sing, 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 sing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have any great, I wasn't like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came on me and I sounded like, you know, Celine Dion. It was amazing. No, no, no. I just took voice lessons and I worked at it and tried. But you know what? I just kept saying yes to God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. And pretty soon I was given an opportunity to lead worship at my youth group. I had practiced with this band for all of five days. And I went into the youth pastor and told him that he wasn't letting us young people do the things that we wanted to do and that we needed, he needed to let young people do things. You could imagine me at 18. And so I, uh, he said, great, you're on for worship next weekend. And I said, great, I have a band. And so, uh, and then I walked out and went, what the heck are you doing? I was terrified. So every single night for a week, we practiced for two hours every single night, right? The bass player had played for seven days. The drummer had played for two weeks. It it was beautiful. I wish we had CDs. I would sell them. And so, um, to, to our moms. And, uh, so we get up and, uh, we start to play and I played two songs. So there were only two songs we knew. It was in a room just like this. And of course, high school students are the most forgiving, right? I mean, the most forgiving, inclusive, like, give us your best shot. We love you anyway. Anybody ever been in front of your high school? Okay, cool. 
And so I, you know, did it my best shot, began to play. And I, this is during the year of me saying yes to whatever God put in my way. And I begin to cry again. It's kind of a natural thing that happens when the presence of God comes on you and you're, God's breaking up things in you. And I just began to cry. And I just told the group, we're going to be with God. And I just remember saying it like, we're going to be with God and he loves us. And it wasn't very clear what I was saying. But the presence of God was in the room. And I look out. And as I look out, there are people crying tears coming down their faces. I don't know if it was the pain of the music. I hope it was God. Could have been the pain of the music. But I'm, they're weeping and crying because the presence of God is there. And again, it's just about saying yes to him. And so God takes our ordinary and he makes an extraordinary and he gives us confidence that we would have never had. I remember one brief story. Uh, I, we, I had gone to a little place called Weaverville, California. Have you ever been to Weaverville? It's a big, like a log, logging place. That's um, Those loggers, wow, you can tell I'm a city person. They, do, they play with logs. So they're up there, and um, I remember just feeling so defeated. And by this time, I, we had shared a testimony at a large conference. And when we went home, we had a couple speaking engagements, and my sister and I had begun to travel without really wanting to travel. It was one of those, like, she, she preached, I sung, and that's what we did. And uh, so we tried a couple times. We went up to Weaverville, um, and there was a man there named um, Chris Fallotton, which I'm sure you guys know who he was. He, wasn't, he didn't do anything at that point. He was just... Um, a guy that ran a uh, mechanic store, he had two different stores, and that's what he did. Didn't do much of that. He just kind of did that and would come in to the church. So he took us out that night to eat, and um, I was sitting there, and I was explaining all my learning disabilities and how inadequate I felt and all that. And he just said this to me casually. We're eating Domino's pizza. He looked at me, and he said, that's funny. You seem rather intelligent. And when he said it, all of a sudden, it was like, has, you, has anyone ever said something to you before where you can't help but react? And I just remember dwelling up with, with emotion and me beginning to cry. Again, every story is crying. I promise I don't cry that much. I promise. But, and I had never, ever, no one had ever looked at me in the face and said, intelligent. You seem rather intelligent. I had never heard my name and the word intelligent. And it was so stunning to me that even as we were eating pizza, I'm wiping away tears and asking for napkins at Domino's. They're eating their pizza. They don't know what's going on. And I'm weeping because I remember running to the altar because of my inadequacy, because I felt so stupid. And I felt like, what's wrong, God? You made me this way. And I can't, I have nothing to give. I'm ridiculous. I'm pathetic. I can't do any of this. And weeping because God had made all things new. And what I didn't know that I could do, God was changing me. And I had never, ever had that happen. And I remember, and I just believe this for you, what you feel like you're most inadequate in, the area that you're most embarrassed about, the area that you feel like, man, I have nothing, or wow, I wish that I could, or wow, if somebody knew this about me, they would not think I was that great. If you were really honest about the areas in your heart that you know is an embarrassment to you, or you feel half, half, uh, inadequate, maybe half relevant, whatever it is, whether it's the way you look, the way you act, what your family was like, maybe the expectations that you're never going to be able to meet, whatever it is in your life, 
God wants to come and put his confidence on you, give you an ability to do things greater than you could have ever done ap- apart from him. He puts his extraordinary on our, on our natural, and he makes us extraordinary people. Amen? So God takes care of all the details. God's going to take care of all the details in your life. Your plan for your life, you, ha- you might have a lot of plans. There's a lot of things we'll never be able to control. You don't know. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to be totally healthy. We don't know if the people that we give our heart to is going to be faithful to us. We don't know if the people that are surrounded us are going to be around us. We don't know if the job we have is going to. There's lots of things that are unknown. But one thing we can be sure of, and that is that God has all the details of our life. And he is trustworthy. And that if you continue to say yes to him in your ordinary life, he will do extraordinary things. But we have to say yes to him. And we have to realize that he has all the details figured out. How many of you get stuck on details? That's right. I can see there's a few of you, right? And you get stuck on the details and you're, you're worried and worried and worried and worried about what's going to happen. How am I going to do this? How am I do this? And God's going, don't worry about it. Just say yes. But, but God, I, I should do this and I should be schooled. I mean, shouldn't I be like, I got to be a great prayer before I pray out loud. I mean, right? Shouldn't I be, wait, don't worry about it. Just say yes. But God, I really want to, it's okay. If it's in your heart, I'm going to find a way to do it. And there's many times I've had to talk to the Lord about that saying, Lord, I want to do this and I want to do that. How do I get there? Because there is no like handbook in this world. There's the Bible, right? But there's like no handbook on how do I really make my life count? How do I really do something that matters? How do I really do, you know, without doing it, how do I? And God just says, I've got the details, sweetheart. You focus on me. You run after me. You, you see me and worry about going deep in who I am. And if you go deep in who I am, I'll do what I need to do. God will always meet us halfway. The move is always on our, on our part. It's always our move with God. It's never his move. He's always there. He's always ready. He's always, he's always waiting for us. He's waiting for us to respond. And it's always our move. And it's always in our yard. What's our responsibility I love what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says. It says, for what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Immeasurable greatness, power, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Bible talks about the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now abiding in us, living within us, helping us decide what to do, when to do it, helping empower us when we pray for people, when we sing, when we do the things we're called to do, when we walk and we're doing the normal things every day. He's empowering us with the same spirit that raised Jesus coming out of the tomb. That same power is living in us, active in us if we will allow it. It's immeasurable. You go, well, God, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know the hang-ups. Yes, he does. But, God, you don't know my family. Yes, he does. But, God, you don't know that, that struggle that I have that nobody knows about. You don't, you don't. It's okay. I know all about that, and I'm not afraid of that. That's why I came. But, God, if people knew what I was doing, they wouldn't think. They wouldn't let me. They would. It's okay. I have the power to deliver you, Jesus said. I have the power to set you free, Jesus said. 
I have the power to go into your life and change you if you will let me. I have that power, and we have that power working inside of us if we will allow God to use us in that way. I love Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That means everything you're thinking about, everything that you're wondering about, come on, everything that you're worried about, he can do beyond that. He's got it all planned out. You go, well, how come I feel like God's hiding himself from me? How come I feel like I've been asking and there's nothing? It's because God wants us, it's, it's a pursuit. God wants us to pursue him. He is not a genie. Come on, God, meet me here. I've, now I've opened up my word. It's been five minutes. How come I don't have the rhema word? What is going on, God? I took five minutes to give you. God, I've been meeting with you. Because God wants us to run after him. And sometimes if he meets us where, he, where we are, we'll never go further in him. We'll never know him in another area. And so he'll let us get a little uncomfortable in our pursuit of him. He'll let us feel like he's hiding himself or that he's silent. He'll let us sense that we're alone or isolated from him. And we go, God, don't you love me? Don't you want to be with me? I mean, don't you want to tell me? And he's saying, it's time to grow up, sweetheart. It's time to be a leader in your life. And so in the beginning, the Bible talks about that he gives the young, the young one milk. But then as we grow, we get fed meat. You know, I've got babies. And initially it's like just milk and formula. And then it's ground up. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, they're looking for your, your meal, you know, and you're giving them the hamburger. But it changes as they get older. And some of you still want, and I have many, many times, sat there going, why aren't you going to spoon feed me, God? I don't get it. And God goes, honey, I'm not raising you up just so that you can be satisfied. I'm raising you up so that you can reach a whole generation that needs something you have. And so you're going to have to learn to cook your own food so that you can feed people. And so there's a part when we don't want to be honest, but God's saying it's time to grow up. We are the hope for our generation. This is all they have. We are the future church. We are the ones that are bringing the gospel. We are the ones that are preaching the good news. And so some of us are wondering, why is it so hard? And it's because we are on a fast track. God is trying to raise up a generation quickly because there is a huge generation that needs us. And so sometimes the lessons that he would have taken years and years for us to get and go to all the conferences and all the retreats and have the pastor call us every every week to make sure we're okay. He's saying, it's okay. I want you to go further than me. So I'm going to hold myself back a little so that you will pursue me more. Come on. That is in each of us. How many of you know you were made to pursue God? There's a pursuit in you. And if God just always showed up, you would not be satisfied. It is a love relationship, and we want to be pursued, but we are called to pursue as well. Secondly, you will feel the least qualified among your peers. Not always, but many times, you're going to feel the least qualified. I remember I grew up with a lot of ministers' kids, a lot of people that are well-known in certain areas, very small circuits, but in the minister's circuit, And I would look around and think, well, use them. I mean, they're the ones that have all of these graces. I mean, they are very intelligent. They're like scholars. They know the Bible in and out. You know, they're they're incredible. Or use this person. I mean, they have an ability to counsel that's incredible. Or they have a, a this or that. And ultimately, it wasn't about me ever feeling adequate. 
It was about me feeling like God wanted to use me and letting him. Many of us are waiting for the right feeling to be used or to step out or to do what God's called us to do. And yet God's saying, I'm, your feelings are going to come and go and they will lead you astray. So it's time to put those feelings aside and start to do the very thing because we access him by what? Faith. Which means we access him by what we know is true, not by what we feel is true. And that's part of the journey that we go into. Amen? So what we, we will feel least likely, least qualified among our peers. I like what Paul said again in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, for I am the least of all the apostles. I mean, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy was not a wimp. This guy was imprisoned. I mean, he, he, did, he did more work. Most of what you're reading, most of what you're dissecting in your life, the things that you're, that you're wa- reading in the Bible that's changing you are words Paul wrote. And most of the time he was imprisoned when he was doing it. And he was, he was writing things and he was saying the hard things. But, you know, Paul had a pretty hard life. He was Saul. He was the one that was killing Christians. And Paul has this amazing encounter with with. God on this road and all of a sudden he's, he's changed. But here he's saying, I'm the least of the apostles. And here's somebody we should be thinking would have like the, you know, I'm Paul, the apostle, you know, I'm Paul. I, I, I'm right. I mean, I'm the man I've left everything. I left. I, I mean, this guy is, he's a, he's a rabbi. He knows all of it. He's a very, very intelligent man. And at the end of the day, he's saying, I don't know nothing. I don't know anything. I'm just, I'm like, I'm one of the least of the apostles. How many of us feel that way about our walk with Christ? Do we approach our walk with him in humility? You know, I'm, I'm one of the least. I'm just trying to do what God asked me to do. I may not do it all right, but at least I'm trying. I just think God loves that. He loves it when we count ourselves as the least of these. You know why? Because then we have no problem reaching anyone talking to anyone. When we start thinking we're better or different than somebody else, it's the harder to reach people because they sense that and we don't reach out. And so ultimately he's saying, I'm the least of them. I'm the least of them. I, I'm, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He had an intense story. Thirdly, God will equip you, but many times, many of the, many times, I'm sorry, God will equip you, but many times it will be beyond your natural abilities. So God will equip you, and you have graces and giftings, but in your ordinary life, what God calls you to do will always be beyond you. And the reason he does that is so that he can get the glory. Could you imagine if you were like, hey, God, I got this. I got this one. There's a lot of people in the world. You go reach them. I got this one. No, we, he wants us to be desperate for him. He wants us to say, God, if you don't show up, I'm like in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm in serious trouble. This is not going to, this is not going to be good. I've told this story before, but I remember the first time I ever ministered prophetically over people. My dad was also one that ministered prophetically, which means that you would hear a word for someone, a prophetic word for somebody, uh, the words of God, and you would just say what you're sensing over someone's life. And uh, I never felt like I had a gift or grace to do that. And I sat in rooms and my dad traveled for most of my life. And I would sit in, in the front seat and he would minister over hundreds of people till two or three in the morning. 
And I would sit there, and I was the one that felt like I couldn't hear God, ever. And I would be embarrassed, and I remember people saying, well, do you prophesy? And I would be like, do you prophesy? Like, I wanted to be like, just because I live in his home doesn't mean I, like, naturally have this gift. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not in the DNA. You know, I, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. I'm just, I don't know. And I remember uh, one, I'll, it's a long story, but I'll tell really uh, parts of it. Went to a conference. This guy came to my sister and said, I want you to pray for me. I feel like God wants you to pray. And I was, we were like, yeah, right. Is this the pickup line of the conference? Like, I want you to pray for me. Well, okay, yeah. And lay hands on you? Okay. And so we were kind of going through that experience. And so Deborah goes, this guy wants us to pray for him. And I'm like, just avoid him. Just avoid him. Like, don't go by him. So every time we'd be at this conference, this guy would walk over and, hey, can you pray for me? Oh, not yet. We're busy. We'll pray for you later. Really, really godly. And so... Uh, so he kept following us. Last night of the conference, 3 o'clock in the morning, we're at a gymnasium just like this, praying over people. And we're like, we missed him. This is great. Like, we, you know, we blew him off. This is, this is good. We turn around. He's like, hey, can you guys pray for me? We're like, okay. So we're like, well, we need a ministry team person with us. So we grab this ministry team girl, and we're, we lay hands on him. And the ministry team girl, who's one of my best friends, leans over, and she goes, whatever you get from God, just say it. I'm like, I'm not going to get anything. I don't hear anything from God. Like, I can, I can barely, I don't know, I don't even know what he's supposed to hear, sound like. So, okay. So we're sitting there, we're praying for him, and she says, I just think Havila has something for you. I'm like, I'm going to kill you is what I have for you, you know? And I'm, I'm mad, right? Like, I don't have anything for this guy, and now you're telling me that I have something, and you said it out loud. You could have whispered it. I mean, that would have been nice. So I'm like, so she's like, just close your eyes. So we close our eyes. And I'm thinking of all kinds of things like McDonald's, you know, like guys, McDonald's, you know, and I'm really hungry. You know, you do that, right? Like, you know, oh, I need new shoes. And I'm thinking of all these things and I'm, and all of a sudden I get the name Daniel and I get this clear, just this clear name, Daniel. I'm like, I know his name's not Daniel, but you know what? The guy's been following us around. If he gets the wrong prophetic word, he kind of deserves it, you know? So I say, um, Daniel, you know, I sense the word Daniel. The guy breaks and starts crying. I'm like, this is working. This is amazing. That's all I said, Daniel. I feel like God says it over you. So he's weeping. They go around. They minister over him. He gets up, wiping his face, crying again. And he goes, will you pray for my friend? And he, like, brings his friend over. And we're like, okay, you know, sure. Lay hands. And I'm praying over him. And all of a sudden, I get the name Shadrach. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. Like, you can't pick a different chapter in the Bible, God? Like, really? The guy's going to think I only know one chapter. So I said, well, whatever. I just sent Shadrach. The guy weeps, falls to the ground, starts sobbing. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I could have the gift of names. This could be awesome. I mean, that's all I got to do is say a name and people are ministered to? This could be pretty easy. Although, if you really want a ministry, you should really heal acne right? I mean, you could fill stadiums. I'm just saying, ask God for our acne healing anointing. That might change your life. So, um, next guy comes up. Can you pray for my friend? Sure, we'll pray for you. Lay hands on him. What name do I get? Meshach. I'm like, this, this is ridiculous, but whatever. This whole thing is ridiculous. Meshach. Oh, sobs, falls to the ground. This is amazing. The next guy comes up. Abendigo, right? Ridiculous. Abendigo. Sobs, cries, I'm like, that was amazing. Wow, we're, you know, amazed. 
We go to leave. The guy walks up to us and he says, I'm sure you've heard this a lot, but there was a prophet that came to our church and he had all four of us stand up and he said, you're a Daniel, a Meshach, a Shadrach, and an Abednego. And, and these guys were from across the country. And he said, that is, we wanted you to know you confirmed that. And I'm like, that is amazing. I mean, I had no idea that, I guess that worked. I thought that was the end of the ministry. I was happy. I could have gone to heaven right there and been like, I was used of you, God. So I go home. We tell our dad, don't tell a dad who is very intense about things like that. Uh, we tell our dad, he gets on the phone, gets us a speaking engagement in Utah, comes out of the bedroom. Hey, I got you guys a speaking engagement in Utah. It's going to be awesome. We're 17 years old. We're like, it's not going to be awesome. We don't know. What are you talking about? We don't do, he's like, well, you guys, you know, this will be good for you. So we're like, okay. So we get, we're on our way a month later in the car to Utah. We get there. The youth pastor greets us at the door. He says, hey, we're so excited about having you guys. And we heard you guys prophesy. And we're really looking forward to it. And we told all the kids about it too. And we are just, our faces are like, what? And he goes, yeah, they all want to come out and hear it. And it's going to be great. So we get in the car, and we're like, we're going to kill you, Dad. Like, you cannot, we do not prophesy. How can you tell me? He goes, I just told him you'd be open to it. We're like, that, you don't tell a pastor that we're open to it unless you're going to deliver. So we're so mad. We get to the host home. We leave the house with our Bibles. We get to a park. We're singing, praying. Long, long, long story. Can't get into all of it. We're singing, show your power. Mothers are grabbing their kids. We don't care anymore because we're about to be humiliated in front of many, many people get to the church that night. Youth pastor greets us. You would not believe it. Not 60 kids had come. 130 came because they heard that you guys prophesy. We're like, this is horrible. And you can't fake prophecy. You can fake a lot of things, but you can't fake prophecy. So make a long, long story short. We uh, do worship. We get in there. They're packed in this small little room. The sound goes out. There's this huge airplane fan in the back they bring in because there's no air in the room. It's just, I'm supposed to sing a song at the end. There's only these two little keyboard speakers that I'm supposed to sing. Deborah, who's never preached a message in her life, has 14 pages, and she's done in seven minutes. And uh, so at the end of that, she says, and now Havilah's going to sing a song. Closes her eyes. I'm like, I'm not, I have no sound. So I just, I belt out this song that I know blessed Satan. And so I'm singing and I'm like, this is horrible. I mean, this is horrible. So I'm singing and um, at the end of it, I just said this thing. If anybody feels God in this room, I just want you to stand and come forward. Now you would think that as a minister, I was saying that because I felt God so strongly that I needed people to come forward so they could be around me. I just want to know if God was in the I mean, that was really where I was at. Like, if God's in the room, I need to find him. Can you just pray over me? Like, let's just have you come forward and pray over me. Half the room, three-fourths of the room, stand up. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I mean, this is, this is crazy. I, I have no feeling that God is here. I have no sense that his presence is here. I, have, I didn't go to Bible school. I don't have any great things to say. I'm like, remember, I'm the illiterate one. I, I, I barely sing. What are you doing, God. And so we get there, they come forward, and it's so packed that literally when I said come forward, they just did this. Because it was so packed in the room. A hundred people stand up and come forward. And so I go to this the guy, we're, we're laying hands, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And the pastor is following us around with a tape and a recorder, right? Like, when are you going to prophesy? When are you going to prophesy? When are you going to prophesy? And I'm just like trying to avoid him. Every time he comes over here, I'm, I'm walking over here to pray for somebody because I'm embarrassed. And uh, finally, 
I look over and my sister's ministering to somebody and she's doing this. And we have, you know, it's a twin thing. I could tell something was up. Like, she's doing it. She's prophesying. I can tell. So I step over some people to get over there and she's just saying, and I just feel like God says this. And I just feel like God says this. Tears are streaming down. Go to the next person. Prophesy. Tears are streaming down. And all we're doing is monitoring it by tears, which is really funny. But when you're in the ministry, there's no, like, handbook. You don't know. I mean, it's just like if they're crying, it's probably good. Right? In church. Isn't that horrible? But, you know, it's not like, and if you see this facial expression, then you're this anointed. And if you see this facial expression, then the glory of God's about to appear. Like, you just don't know. So we're praying, and uh, we go. We're just going, 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 going. At that point, about 2 in the morning, we prophesied over the last person. We administered prophetic over almost all of them that night. And we went to bed that night, and I was just higher than a kite, if I can redeem that expression. And uh, just so amazed that God would do something like that. Didn't feel anything like, you know, all of a sudden I've had this grace and I'm especially gifted. No, I, I still had all the same struggles, all that. I, I, didn't, I did not feel like I had anything special about me. But ultimately, I just kept saying yes to him, yes to God, yes to God. And I've had hard experiences. The next church we went to was in Arizona. We preached the message, ministered over people. That night, the pastor took us both out sat across from us at the table and said, I don't believe in anything you girls did. I don't believe in women ministry, and I don't think anything you did was of God. This was my second ministry opportunity. So you can imagine crying, went back to the hotel room, weeping. What happened? I felt like I just got chastised. I didn't know that there was such, like, animosity out there towards this. I didn't call myself. I don't, I barely know what I'm doing. I don't, I didn't know I was on trial for it. And I went, and I remember telling my dad that, and my dad just said, girls, Either God called you or man called you. But if God called you, no one can take that away from you. And if man called you, then you might as well say goodbye because there's going to be a lot of people that aren't into what you do. But at the end of the day, it's not about them. It's about you doing what's in front of you, saying yes to God, and I will do and open the doors I need to open up. And I would just say that over you. Some of you that have felt prejudice toward you or maybe somebody that has said something about you that you somehow wasn't exactly what they thought you should be in terms of ministry or or even life I would say the same thing if God calls you then that's enough and if he's called you then he's anointed you and if he's anointed you then he'll give you the grace and the tools to do what he's called you to do amen so lastly as we go on um Our task is to bring out the ordinary of what God extraordinarily has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. God is doing incredible. He is not depressed. He's not sad. He's not mad. He's not, oh, man, what am I going to do with this world? Oh, my gosh, we should have done something else. This is not going to work. He is not panicked. He is fully excited about what's going to happen. God has a bride that he's, he's preparing for himself. He's coming back in all his glory, and we get to be a part of that. But ultimately, there is a plan that God's already doing, and we are bringing to light his plan. Bringing to light what he's already doing on the face of this earth. And so that's what we get to experience I love what Ephesians 1 says, having the eyes of, our, of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which, you, he has, of which he has called you. The eyes of your heart being enlightened to understand the hope in which he has called you. Do you have a hope that he's called you? A hope is, is an excitement of, of believing for what's, what is to come as if it's already there. It's, it's this hope, and I, 
preparing a whole message on hope right now. But it's exciting because it's about already believing that something's going to happen even though it's not happening yet. So do you have a hope in your calling? Do you have a hope in your destiny? Do you have a hope in your future? Do you have a hope in what he's put before you that he's going to anoint you to do that very thing which he's put before you? No matter what it looks like, we have to stop looking at it with our natural eyes. We are such Americans, you know, we, we monitor things on how everything looks. And if it's, you know what, as long as we're saying yes to him, that's all that matters. As long as we have a group of people gathering on a Thursday night, come on, in Sacramento saying, we want you, God, we love you, God, we want to be used by you. He is so excited about that. That's part of his passion. He loves it, but he will take us up on it. He will take us up on it. He will take you up on it. If you are saying yes to him, he is coming to your door. And it may mean that you're to go to other nations. It may mean that you're to reach out to other people groups. It may mean that you are to do this in this marketplace or go to this school or lead at this church or have a, you know, have a family, whatever it is, God is knocking on your door and he's saying, if you say yes to me, it will not be comfortable all the time. But I will, it will never be boring, and I will use that very thing which I've put in you to accomplish great things if you will let me. He will always make a demand on the anointing that he gives. So lastly, and I close with this, God's plan is to use ordinary followers of Jesus gathered in ordinary churches to make known God's extraordinary plan, to make him known. This is part of his plan. You go, I'm just here on a Thursday night. I'm, I don't even know why. I'm exhausted. I've got schoolwork. I'm, or I'm here because my friend's here. Or I'm here because this is my church. Whatever it is, you are here for a reason. God knew you would be here tonight. He knew everything about your day. And he knew everything that you've been going through, every thought you've had. And he wanted you to come tonight so that you could hear this very word. And that word is that he wants to take your ordinary and make it extraordinary. That the things that you're going through, even the trials and the struggles and the mountaintops that you're trying to reach, he has not given up on you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not mad at you. He enjoys you. He loves you. And he's trying to meet you where you're at and to pull you further along in your journey that you could be and have the hope of glory for all those that you're around and all those that you come into contact with. You have to be ready in and out of season. Lately, I've been ministering to the girl that does my hair, and she does not know God, um, thinks she does. But every time I go in there, I just pray, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. I need to share my life with her. And we just share, and every time, it's funny, she saves things to tell me. She doesn't know me from Adam, but she'll save big things in her life to tell me. And there's been some significant things, and I won't say it because I know we're on the internet, so I don't want to say everything, but ultimately, God is taking my ordinary getting my hair done, which can be an extraordinary thing. How many of us ladies know that, right? He's taking the ordinary thing. And he's letting that ordinary experience become extraordinary because I'm sharing the hope of the gospel with this woman who I believe is going to come to the kingdom this year. I have it and I know that she will because I just, she's so ready every single time. So I want to encourage you with those thoughts. And tonight, my heart is I really want to minister over a few of you. And I want to say a few things. And that is, number one, 
everything that I minister over prophetically is all recorded because I'm accountable. I want to be accountable to your leaders here. And I also want to be accountable so that when you have it, you can listen to it and re-listen to it and write it out. And remember, not everything happens immediately. I've had many, many people come back like five, five years later, it happened or five years. But secondly, I want you to know that I just, I don't, I don't believe that God uses, it says that in the Bible that the prophecy is to edify the body. It's to build us up. And so don't get nervous. Nothing, I'm not going to say anything that's going to be like expose anything. This is not for exposing. This is for building up, encouraging. It's, it's to speak things that will help you go on. If you've left feeling like God's mad at you, he's irritated, you've blown it, you've been shamed, it's not God. It's not him. It's, it's human. But it's not God because God is so for us. He's like the parent that can't get enough of the, the kid and cheering the kid on and thinks that the kid has done the most amazing things. He can be disappointed in some things, but we do. But he's never, ever lost sight of the great things we're called to do. And he will always push us forward in that. So I want to say that. Um, thirdly, I just, if you will, say your name. That way, when it's on, recorded, you can get this, the word. Um, and also if you'll keep your head up and your eyes closed, and that's purely just for me because it helps me not, you know, oh, they're looking at me, oh, they're like, and then I'm thinking about you looking at me, and then I'm thinking about McDonald's. So if you keep your eyes closed, um, then I might actually be able to stay a little focused. So I want to invite my husband. He's going to come up and play some piano, um, because he's good at that. And, um, and we're just going to pray. Are you guys okay with that tonight? You guys want to, you guys want to just see what God has to say? You guys are, I can tell you're intently listening. You're all looking at me. You don't sound as lively as your faces look. So that's okay. That's okay. I've got, I mostly just talk to children all day, so I can do this. I'm good. As long as you're smiling at me and you're understanding me, I'm a happy girl. Um, So Lord, we love you. Lord, we're here because of you. And Lord, we just invite your very presence in this room. welcome you God just welcome him with your own mouth just Lord we welcome you just come with your presence God share the things you need to share God we want more and more of you Lord Spirit of God